to another episode of Setting the Tone in ER Retrospective, the show where we do a chronological breakdown of every episode of our favorite TV medical drama. My name is Elizabeth, and with me today, as always, are Lauren. Ahoy hoy! And Daniel. Hey! Today we'll be discussing Season 10, Episode 4, which is held Shifts Happen. The episode aired on October 23rd, 2003. Lauren, what was going on that week 20 years ago? Uh, I told Daniel I do not have to be contractually obligated to read this first headline, but I'm going to do it anyway. I'm going to try. Would you like me to do it? Yes. <laughs> okay. So, if you follow Chicago sports at all over the last 20 years, you know about this. But this happens. In the eighth inning of Game 6 of the NLCS, a foul ball that Chicago Cubs outfielder Moises Alou, did I say his name right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Was attempting to catch was instead deflected by a fan named Steve Bartman, one of many fans reaching for the ball. Alou was furious after the play and shouting at fans nearby and argued with the umpires that the play should be ruled an out due to fan interference, marking the second out of the inning. Instead, head umpire Mike Everett ruled that there was no interference because the ball had broken the plane, it's broken the invisible plane. Uh, separating the field of play from the stands and entered stands, which basically means it's out of play. So if you catch it, great. If not, it's a foul ball. Afterwards, the Cubs defense absolutely collapsed, allowing eight runs in one inning and ultimately losing that game eight to three. The Marlins went on to win game seven as well, advancing to the World Series to face the Yankees. Fans immediately and for years, some even to this day, uh, attacked Bartman in various ways, death threats, verbally, people th- uh, threw stuff at him at, at the game and blamed him for the Cubs continuing, at that point, non- 95-year championship drought. But for their part, Cubs players and the, uh, Cubs players and the organization only blamed themselves. So, like, we we gave up eight runs in one inning. That's That's our bad. <laughs> And they tried to take as much heat off Bartman as they could. When the Cubs eventually did win another World Series in 2016, Bartman was sent to his own championship ring. So, yeah. One of... If you if you follow Cubs baseball, this is, like, one of the biggest things. Uh, I say... I say thing trademark. Because <laughs> like, uh, it was a thing. We say this all the time, but fandom was a mistake. Yeah. Oh, yeah. This is, this is pretty ugly. This is pretty bad. And it's still a... Uh, kind of a cliche, I would imagine, Chicago land area Halloween costume probably to this day. Like, I know I saw at least one or two uh, posts from people. Granted, it was in like the the baseball sphere. Uh, uh, people still dressing as Bartman in 2023, but uh, it, was, I, uh, it to, was a whole thing. To no one's surprise, I have never heard of this. He was ever. <clears throat> he was dressed sort of like that, that. I think that added to it a little bit was that he just had this very like almost millhousey look to him like he <laughs> he was wearing like a sweater hat green glasses yeah. and headphones yeah he had those big old school like radio headphones like the ones that would have oh, the yeah, antenna sticking the up game. on the side yeah, cause oh, he, yeah he, he was listening to the game while he was there yeah and he like lizzie said he had to be like basically put into protective custody for a couple days after this where like he him and his family had to move move around in like uh vans like under the cover of darkness and stuff to like get out of places because his life was like in danger like people it was so stupid too because it wasn't his fault that they gave up eight runs after that and it wasn't his and he did what anybody else would have done in that exact same situation if you were sitting in those seats like 
you would have gone for that ball just like anybody else. And and like Lizzie said, there were a dozen other people seated around him who were also going for the ball that could have just dozens as easily of us. Been so it was, and it was such a like childish thing too. Like they got the ball for it, and they made like a big production out of detonating the ball as a way to like quote unquote break the curse. Like it was. Sports fans continue to be the dumbest on the as one myself. We are just the dumbest bunch of human beings on the planet. Today I learned that that ball was boiled. The vapor of it was captured and that vapor was put into a pasta sauce at one point. I have no idea why. Just the don't ask. Dumbest but I was just reading about it on Wikipedia earlier today and that's what I saw. Also Bartman for uh, you know I don't know if to his credit or whatever, but he has done, he has never done an interview about this. No. He has never, he turned down hundreds <laughs> of thousands of dollars to appear in various, uh, yeah, like documentaries right. and like interview spots or whatever. The man has just wants to be left alone. He just wants to be left alone. And uh, th- that reminded me of a really funny fallout thing from this because I remember watching it live uh, in the days after this. Uh, there was a big sports center made a big to do about how they got Steve Bartman for an interview. And like, it was going to be like, you know, a big, big deal. Like they got the exclusive or whatever. And uh, it was a fucking Howard Stern prank. Like it was a, like, and it wasn't, it wasn't (laughs) like, they didn't know that. Like they legitimately thought they had the guy. And then like halfway through the guy, like makes some fucking like Baba Booey reference and then hangs up on them. And that was honestly my favorite part of the whole thing was watching ESPN get <laughs> caught with their pants down. Ah, uh, you love to see it. Lauren, what else happened that week? Uh, China launches the Shenzhou 5 rocket, marking their first ever manned space mission. Spooky season is in full effect as the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, a remake of the 1974 film of the same name, debuts and takes the number one spot at the box office, and... Baby Boy by Beyonce featuring Sean Paul is still your number one song. Daniel, what else was on? At 8 p.m., Friends with the episode The One with the Cake. At 8.30, Scrubs with My White Whale. At 9, Will and Grace with Me and Mr. Jones. Uh, And at 9.30, Coupling with the episode Check Slash Mate. Uh, this week's episode had an even 18 million viewers tuning in, directed by Julie Hebert, doing her uh, second out of four as a director. Last time we saw her was last season's The Advocate, and written by D. Johnson, doing his tw- or her 12th out of 19 as a writer. Uh, last time we saw her as a writer was uh, also last season, I believe, might have been season eight, uh, Finders Keepers. Uh, and no Carter this week as he continues his uh, East African sabbatical. All right, and our previously on is brought to us by Pratt, who is the main character of this episode. Uh, we see him getting ready for work and heading in, and we see the timestamp 6.28 p.m. They put these timestamps in here. I don't really know why. It's not like they really mattered, but here we are. Um, we see Lizzie is on the phone with Ella's sitter. She's in what looks like either a hotel room or Dorset's apartment, clearly mostly naked underneath the sheet that she is holding up. And after she hangs up with the sitter, she sa- she tells Dorset that uh, sneaking out of the house all feels a little unseemly. Mm. And then they continue to get feisty. So yeah. this is, again, uh, when when Lizzie Corday got her groove back. And boy, she's got it back. And where was he- where was this Lizzie? Like, I know she had to come back from grief and everything, but, like, we should have seen more of that journey. 
like yeah. where was this gr- like I'm not saying oh my god this shouldn't be happening I'm saying I wish that all of the development to this hadn't been assumed done in the background like this could have been such a great story arc for her was getting to this point mm-hmm. also props to whoever in the uh, wardrobe department picked out that bra because it's... god damn that was one of those where wow she looks really nice in it and also it's just wow it's a very nice bra in general yeah, like, yeah. And you get some uh, some premium uh, after 10 p.m. Uh, side boob content, like just yep. tasteful side boob. Yep. Uh, but moving on, Pratt gets in. Well, we see a lot of new nurses in Admit, uh, but Pratt gets defensive when Coop teases him about being late. Jerry and Coop are going to a Cubs base. game, which I Cubs. like to believe the alternate uh, headcanon is that Jerry is the like, there's a multiverse. <laughs> there's Jerry a multiverse where Jerry is Bartman. And I choose to believe that. Like I, now I <laughs> desperately want a Photoshop of Jerry in the place of Bartman in the photo where he's like reaching up for the ball. Like, g- please give me that. Uh, yeah. Everyone needs uh, Pratt for something today because he's one of the only like senior people on the floor. It's basically him and Weaver mm-hmm. overnight. Yeah. Like, or Pratt has the most experience at County, even though he's still on the same like level as Coop and Morris and those people technically. And uh, we get some new med students, a couple of which are notable. Yes. Uh, one much more so than the other. Um, and uh, the less notable of the two. So, we don't it's it's not until much later in the episode that we get name checks on either one of these guys that's how like kind of unremarkable they are and for the less remarkable of the two I wasn't even 100% confident that I got the right name cuz <laughs> because Pratt says it one time and he says it really fast and so I was just like I think his name is Andy but I'm not 100% confident in that um he was it an IMDb it was he's just listed it, he's listing? just listed as medical student so <laughs> Um, but okay. but the pictures match up. So he is played by actor uh, Nicholas Diago- Diagosto, Diagosto, uh, and he is in uh, appeared in stuff like Trial and Error, Masters of Sex, and the TV series Gotham, where he plays uh, Commissioner Gordon. I'm told. Uh, huh. Yeah. Never watched the show, but uh, he he's a very good douchebag in Masters of Sex. There you go. He's making his first. That's of, a lot of words. First Sorry. of two appearances here as Andy? Question mark As I put him in the notes because I couldn't bother to get his name uh the more notable of the two although let's be honest it's a little bit of a relative scale here uh lester hey the comic relief guy the comic relief guy who will be with us for a whopping 11 appearances uh he is played by actor uh rossif sutherland who appeared in stuff like river possessor and rain uh and yeah he's definitely a guy who like i recognized and i was like hey it's that guy he's gonna be around for a little bit little while but i couldn't honestly tell you anything that he's ever does on this show other than just be in the background <laughs> like i have no memory of any of the like substance of his character sometimes you just need a good background filler character sure but uh last but not least uh morris being morris just doing morris th- just doing early season archie things uh is stuck flirting with a sprained ankle lady like so giggling and hiding behind the curtain working on her foot instead of doing any of his other charts ah morris oh morris uh we then see carrie coming down to scold everybody on uh how slow the rack is being moved uh and she's just like peak militant carrie here like cracking the whip uh and susan with one of the lines of the episode i kind of miss little stumpy (laughs) uh which we will get plenty more with uh romano getting his new robotic arm this week oh boy 
Uh, Abby uh, is clocking out for the day, but uh, is helping do an intake on a patient, Mr. Mathers, uh, who we will meet in just a minute. Pratt tries to motivate everybody that they're going to clear the board and show day shift how it's done. It's uh, it's Pratt does uh, a shift in the night. That's that's literally what this episode but, is. But worse. We it's it, it's we'll we have it, it's we have a shift in the night at home. Uh, but uh, we are then into the intro, in with bangs. We come out of the intro to the aforementioned Romano getting fitted for his robotic prosthesis, prosthesis, prosthesis. We're gonna prosthetic. Yeah, I uh, I was having a moment. No, it's fine. Uh, he's real real bitchy with the uh, prosthetist from last week, who is uh, helping him guide guide him through how to use it. Uh, so I, I I love how she's like, well, that's much too advanced. Like as far as putting it on and everything, she's like, we're starting slow with this. He goes, I'm fucking paying for it. Give me my arm. <laughs> yeah. Like so. Uh, and then we go back in. We see we finally see Mr. Mathers, who's a real trouble patient here. Uh, Pratt asking Gallant to uh, observe Neela through this whole process. Uh, and here's where we get our first good look at Mr. Mathers. Uh, played by actor Richard Cox, who appears in stuff like Cruising, uh, The Vindicator, and Executive Suite. And he has 103 credits to his name. And if you shorten it, his name is Dick Cox. Thank you. And I will be here all week. Ha <laughs> Gotta love it. Uh, but we got another a large individual man drunk with uh, what they say is a .429 blood alcohol. And I, was, and I thought to myself, so- that seems really fucking high. So I looked it up. Just out of curiosity, and fun fact, this is often uh, what is considered a lethal blood alcohol level. Lauren, you have- so they say four two four twenty nine, and I had like I had to assume it was this because oh yeah. four two nine just seemed too low for this to be like a stunning thing. So yeah. I just wanted to add that disclaimer that I was like ninety percent sure this is what they meant. Yeah, so point four two nine is often a lethal blood alcohol level. Mm-hmm. Uh, 0.25 and above is considered alcohol poisoning, and like the cut, like the next like level up is at 0.4, which is like, yeah, <laughs> you're very likely up. to just stop. Your heart's like just very likely to stop at that point. Not so, great. Yeah, great. Uh, new new nurse uh, is obviously not happy with handling this large individual and is going to be sick because he's also, I believe, very smelly. Uh, and Chen gives Pratt a very cold attitude. I also want to when note they, when they see this, each other. Uh, this uh, nurse's Tweety Bird shirt, just mm-hmm. walking around in a little Tweety Bird shirt. Like, what are you twelve? Um, oh, that's that's very authentic, though. At least I know. To, I, to my, I know. <laughs> nurses love their cutesy scrubs. And it wasn't even a scrub. She just well, had no, like, a know, T-shirt like on the, under her scrubs. The, but yes, the, the Looney Tunes. Yes, uh, but then we meet a Crohn's patient named Betsy that Pratt's been helping out. Um, we learned that we've heard that she's a frequent flyer earlier. She's waiting on a bed upstairs because she's got abdominal pain and just things are not going well for her. I put her in here because I think this is where she shows up because she shows up again later and that's where I got her in the notes originally and I was like, I missed her as yeah. being an important person. So it's roughly around here that she shows up. Yeah. But. Uh, and she is played by actress uh, Shanae, I'm going to say, uh, Johnson. Yeah. Uh, and she appears in stuff like The Ring 2, Criminal Minds, and Life. Uh, and unfortunately uh, did pass away in 2010. Hmm. Uh, then we go over. This is going to be one of those just fast bullet episodes, everybody. So just buckle up. It's 
there's there's a lot, but not necessarily a lot of substance in this. So next we see a Pratt giving Carrie a run of their current cases, and Neela is still having trouble with getting a stick on Mr. Mathers for a chest tube. Abby and Gallant are in there, and Abby is trying to give her instructions on how to do it. Chen steps in and just does it herself. Only spot in the episode that I caught this. Whose films are those? Guys, it's still really weird when I, you know, bring it in for myself. Uh, You're getting so good at but it, then, though, like, uh... I know It's just stream of consciousness at this point. But then uh, Neela learns that Chen and Pratt broke up last week and runs to go talk to Chen. And she tries to defend herself. Like, oh, you know, Dr. Pratt is a huge flirt. And I hope you know that I didn't do anything to lead him on or it wasn't my intention. And just really trying to stick up for herself there. Um, And Chen says, it's not personal. I'm hard on all my female med students because I have to be. Like, I'm going to grade you on your work, not on Dr. Pratt. You know, that that well-documented history we have of Chen being hard on female med students. Like, that that easily uh, recognizable character trait that has always been true and has never uh, once been glossed over before. Yep. And then Pratt is continuing to delegate charts to try and just clear the board and get everything done. We learn Betsy is still waiting to go upstairs. Her abdominal pain is getting worse and she's very uncomfortable. Excuse me. uh, Mr. Gamble comes in and he is a uh, patient experiencing aphasia. I think I have him later down as Ed. So... Daniel, thank you for getting the proper name here. Uh, yeah, Ed Ed Gamble, I think, is his full yeah. full name. And he's, for lack of a better word, I guess, like, he's sort of our A patient for the episode. Like, he... Kind of. I guess. Yeah, like, it, for, a, for an episode that doesn't really have a distinct A, uh, pa- at least a patient, you know, where we're going to follow mm-hmm. this one person throughout most of the episode, like, the episode is clearly kind of centered around Pratt and this guy is just the closest thing we have to a, a central patient. Um, and he's Which kind- is weird. Cause I'd consider, I'd consider it Mr. Mathers. I guess that's true too. We do see a lot of yeah. Mr. Mathers kind of as a through line, but um, there's not as much in the way of development or consequences with uh, mm-hmm. Mathers. Like Mathers is just kind of loud and shouty the whole time. Whereas Mr. Gamble, there's at least some development and some, some consequences to Pratt's actions. Um, but yeah. in any event, Mr. Gamble's is in here uh, with his wife. Um, he's in the same room with Betsy. They're in that that little multi bedroom, I be- which I believe canonically this is the the stabbing room. Um, yep. The, that they're in. Uh, Mr. Gamble is played by actor Paul Cassell, who appears in stuff like Just Like Heaven, Ghost of Girlfriends Past, and uh, the TV series that I'm still not convinced exists, uh, The Practice. Uh, and uh, his wife, Mrs. Gamble, she is played by uh, Maureen Flanagan, who appears in stuff like Out of This World, Northern Exposure, and the TV series that I am uh, not entirely convinced. I am convinced that it exists. I'm not entirely convinced that uh, Jake and Lizzie aren't the only two people on the planet who like it, uh, Boston Public. Uh, and the kind of crucial plot detail that we get in this scene here is that uh, Mrs. Gamble is threatening to divorce mr gamble and that is what she believes is causing his aphasia basically he's faking it or he's having some sort of uh you know emotional mental break because she has told him Mm -hmm. she wants a divorce and that kind of plays into the story as we go along here so just important to note yep uh then we have susan gives pratt a handoff of all of her charts because she's out for the day we learned Morris is MIA. They've been looking all over for him to help, you know, catch up on his slack. 
A uh, 73-year-old woman is brought in with her uh, granddaughter. The woman's name is Winnie Crawford, and her granddaughter is Erica. Erica, I, feel like. is the, I think the I, 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 yep, she's brought in with trouble breathing. Um, Jerry then tells Abby that, oh, your loan won't go through with a credit score of 428. You couldn't even lease a moped with a score that low. <laughs> Thanks, Jerry. Cool. Good it's, confidentiality there. Right, yeah, the confidentiality bit. But it's, it is interesting to me, too. Like, I, I know I always have joked in the past about how, like, this is, they're just going to, like, finally go through with the Carol storyline. Um, but, like, this is reminding me of all of the, like, there was so many storylines with Carol that were like money driven or like she mm-hmm. was having, she was having money problems with this or her house was fucked up or her, you know, car broke down or whatever. And I was just like, man, we really are just like tracing over the, uh, the, the Carol kind of blueprint to get, to get us where we need to go with Abby. I mean, I'm not, a, I'm not mad at it. I'm not like we, it, it gets us to where we need to go, but I just didn't remember it being so kind of like directly pulled from the Carol playbook to get us here. Uh, Winnie's granddaughter's with her trying to advocate uh, for her DNR, but she doesn't really know what that means. Because uh, after Carrie asks her, she's like, she's like, oh, she doesn't want to be naked. And to be fair, you do see some geriatric breasts. Yes. Daniel. Geriatric breasts here in full view. <laughs> Beautiful 10AP HD on Hulu. Daniel was about to put that a much less professional way than we just did. Yeah, I think I, I was trying not to make a joke of it. No, nope. podcast but, mom Eric, caught it. Yeah, daughter's name uh, daughter's name is Erica, who, and she is played by she is played by actress uh, Ryan Nicole Brown, who appears in stuff like the TV series Empire, uh, the TV movie Surviving Compton, and Lincoln Heights, and uh, also appeared uh, with us a couple seasons ago in season seven as a completely different character. So, I would also like to point out here too that uh, old lady, uh, the grandmother here, uh, does not get credited in this episode. Like, is not on IMDb in any way. And I'm like, if if my titties are gonna be out in the street on an episode, <laughs> I want my IMDb credit. God damn it! Like, if you go have me just out here swanging in the wind, like, let me at least barbecue sauce all over. Her right. Titties. Like, at least let me get. That's funny to two people, Lizzie. <laughs> No, that's that's about that's hey, about right. There are dozens of people who still remember and love Vine. Yeah. thank you very much. Uh, R.I.P. Vine. Mm. But like, I I want I would like a an, at least an IMDb credit, please. There was like, and I forget where I read this. I don't know if it was in a review of the episode or if it was maybe in the Discord. Somebody was talking about it. I don't know. But like, they they were talking about how like there was sort of this like push around this time for medical shows to kind of, especially shows that had the benefit of like a later time slot to show kind of like medically contextual nudity of like, it's okay to show titties once in a while. If it's like, you know, medically you're cracking a chest or whatever. Right. Like we don't have to like, and it's just an interesting thing because like we go, we go through so many like peaks and valleys in this country, particularly speaking specifically about the U S and our media of like, we pull back a little on the like puritanical stuff and then we like go the other direction and go like, no, no titties ever. And like, it's just like, it's, it's just, we're, we're so zigzaggy about that. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what my point is on this. I should, I should steer out of this. We, we go from there to uh, Gallant <laughs> headed out, uh, giving Pratt, uh, Morris's charts. Uh, we then see, uh, 
Pratt trying to examine a man who was bit, uh, who says he was bit by a rat, and then proceeds to pick up the rat, hold up the rat, and like fling it around. Just, uh, do you want to test this? Which I believe is the thing that uh, finally gets the new nurse to just completely give up and say she quits and she's out of here. We'll never see her again. Uh, Pratt finally gets to go pee. Uh, he's been, that's that's a through line we've kind of ignored so far is that he's been trying to pee since this episode started. Like since he walked in the door, he's been trying to go pee and he keeps getting short, uh, you know, cut off. Um, so he finally goes to go pee and he hears Morris in the stall talking to somebody on the phone about patient treatment uh, with the help of a textbook uh, draped across his lap. And this I is, love this is honestly like the first Pratt Archie moment, really. Like if you think about it, mm-hmm. like, the, oh, yeah, this is they, these two are kind of going to be our Doug and Mark for the rest of the show. And this is the first yeah. time we're really seeing them interact. You're right. I didn't even put that together. Yeah. Also, just the look of uh, Scott Grimes just sitting on a toilet with a cell phone in one hand and a medical book just across his lap. And then I love how Pratt's like, also, light a match, dude. <laughs> so he's like taking his shit, talking on the phone, and looking at this textbook, trying to get his life together. Yeah. Well, like, <laughs> that was such a strange implication to, to like the light a match thing of like, because my read on it as I was watching it was like, oh, he's not in here using the bathroom. He's just no, hiding. He's just on the phone. But yeah. the light of well, match. Pants are but, down. Yeah, are they? I didn't. I never saw. Like I never. I didn't yeah, notice. Then that's even weirder. <laughs> like that he's Weird. just fully like dropping a loaf and like fully like consulting the textbook at the same time. I was I was about to say we're all a little bit archy sometimes, but then you said dropping a loaf, and I'm retracting my <laughs> statement. Who among us has not dropped a lo- dropped a loaf while looking at a medical textbook? I know I certainly have. Hey, you know. Uh, moving on, we're- Abby is knocking at Luca's door, uh, and Jillian invites her in for dinner. But Jillian is leaving, and she tells Luca she'll see him in a few months because her boyfriend has been bugging her to go back home. Right to and I to Montreal, which now keep, if you're keeping score at home, that's now two women that Luca has hooked up with uh, that have some connection either going to or coming from Montreal. Because uh, that's where uh, what's her nuts from a couple seasons ago ended up going back to um, Nicole, the one everybody hated. Yep. I also want to note here that we have one appearance left with uh, Jillian, so you know, enjoy her while she. I really was like, oh man, they're doing more with this character than I thought, and then they promptly like punt her off screen in this uh, episode, and I realized that we have one appearance left with her. So it'll be interesting to see how they wrap that character up. So I love how after Jillian leaves, how Abby's like, wait, I thought you two were together or whatever. What's going on there? And Luke is just like, eh, it's complicated. Whatever. Come on in. Hi. Right. <laughs> just, just we're fucking. It's fine. Uh, She's French. Then, it's fine. It's whatever. What happens in Africa? Am I right? Uh, but then we <laughs> go back to Pratt still. <laughs> fucked if I know. Uh, we go back to Pratt. Uh, he's still trying to get help for Mr. Mathers. Lizzie's down there and scolds him for the consult he asked for. Cause she's like, this was a waste of my time. What the fuck? She's going on to another patient. Uh, we hear that there are 30 on the board and Pratt's like, nice job, everybody. And then I think it's Frank who goes, yep. And 50 in triage. I'm, fuck. I'm, I'm sorry. Going back, going back ever so slightly to the, <laughs> you just made me think of, you just made me think of that curb your enthusiasm joke when they had, um, when they had Michael J. Fox on as a guest star and he, and he hands Larry David a soda and it explodes in his face. And he's like, he's like, <laughs> what? he's like, what the fuck? Did you shake that up? And Michael J. Fox just goes like, Oh, you know, Parkinson's like, and 
<laughs> and it, it's like Luca's like, wait, I thought you. Abby's like, wait, I thought you guys were dating. And Luca's like, ah, you know, malaria. Like I don't, I don't, <laughs> I don't remember. You know. Oh. <laughs> and then oh, now I'm trying to find his Christian name. Hold on, Mr. Gamble. Mr. Gamble. I got it. Uh, Ed Gamble, our mute, our aphasia gentleman, is asking Pratt if they've determined anything for why he's going in and out of being able to speak. Uh, we don't hear anything new on that yet. And a woman comes in yelling at Pratt. Uh, and this is the uh, Dr. Hampton, the, the GI, GI resident. Thank you. I got there. Uh, comes in yelling at Pratt, asking for a be- for asking for a bed for Betsy. Says that she's a frequent flyer and a drug seeker who keeps scamming the ER out of Demerol, but she doesn't deserve a bed upstairs. Essentially, she's like, treat her, treat her, send her home with steroids and some like Percocet or whatever. Uh, and Pratt's like, well, if we're gonna do that, how about you note the chart that you refuse to admit her, like put it on record that you won't take her upstairs. And um, he tells Lester, okay, whatever, go medicate and discharge Betsy. So, great. Cool. Mm. And the GI doc here, Dr. Hampton, she is played by actress Robin Carfo, who appears in stuff like How to Get Away with Murder, uh, NCIS, and Grey's Anatomy. Uh, Let's go to our only audio clip of the episode. Abby and Luca are having a chat at the Riverwalk, where he did a murder all those years ago. Seem to be getting your strength back. They couldn't run a four-minute mile, but I'm doing okay. Still a little anemic. You glad to be home? Yes and no. I miss it. You're not in your own head all the time. You're part of something that's in constant motion over there. Any break from it you get is a luxury, not just something to be taken for granted. And that's different from County How? It's its own addiction, I guess. Yeah, it's certainly hooked to Carver. Yeah. How are you doing with that? Without him, you mean? I'm fine. I'm better than fine. So you're happy? <laughs> Getting there. I made a few decisions. Like what? I don't jinx myself. Work wants me back. Tonight? Pretend I didn't get a page. I need the money. Yeah. I do like the I'm not going to jinx myself thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I thought it was uh I thought it was an interesting uh as as Lizzie teased going into the, the clip, I thought it was an interesting choice to set this scene at with the backdrop of the Riverwalk, which felt maybe intentional. Like it felt like felt like a just a because I mean I, I don't know maybe maybe I'm reading too much into that but like to me it just it, it feels like too much of a coincidence otherwise uh, to set set these two in that same exact spot they even go down a similar like staircase to I mean it's the same it's the same the area. same section so it would be uh, I'm mostly mad because geographically this makes no sense because this is theoretically like right next to the hospital and mm. I don't think Luca lives right next to the hospital but that's as just... we've as we've established. These, these writers don't fucking care. <laughs> I also I also miss working down there. I do not work by the uh, Mark Green Memorial Riverwalk section anymore. Mm. Sad. 
damn. Hardly knew you. Sorry, Lauren. But yeah, I also just gotta get another new job. I also like no. I also like the uh, so like how are you doing with that whole thing? And she proceeds to literally do the the Ross thing from Friends. I'm fine, I'm great. <laughs> like she's like she literally repeats I'm fine three different ways. It's uh, she's doing great. You're doing great, sweetie. Me when I'm trying to hide my when I'm feeling bad mentally. Yeah, we all see through it, Lizzie. I'm, I'm sorry to tell I'm you. I'm fine. <laughs> Living the dream. We know that's you- what peachy. Just peachy. Peachy keen. Uh, but then from there, Carrie asks Abby how she's doing. And she just goes, you know, I'd hate to lose you with all the changes Romano's been making. You're a really dedicated and good nurse. And it's like trying to kiss ass because she knows if Abby quits, she's doomed with everything else. And also, I think, trying to foreshadow that they are going to lose Abby as a nurse here in a shortly. Hey. So like, hey. Uh, and then Pratt yells at Morris for staring at an x-ray when he should be working the board. And this x-ray is a uh, kid swallowed a quarter and Pratt tells Morris to page the GI doctor um, who gave him shit earlier about Betsy already. He's like, no, you go ahead and do it. We're best friends. You you should get the chance to talk to her. Have her, have her come down and take care of this. Great. Mm. And I can't remember if we actually meet the kid who swallowed the quarter here or if we're just looking at his we x-rays. Do. Uh, we we see him okay. and so, his family. Yeah, he, uh, Damien, the kid who uh, swallowed the, the uh, quarter, he is played by uh, Kendall Schmidt, who is uh, appeared in stuff like CSI Miami, the Today I Learned Existed School of Rock TV series. They did a, a TV series what? version of School of Rock. It was like a Nickelodeon today. thing or something. That can't be good. Yeah, today, oh, it today probably isn't, but... Uh, and he was also part of Big Time Rush, which is a thing I am told by people younger than me matters. Uh, I know nothing about it myself, but uh, it's one of those was... things that people that are slightly younger than me, and I'm, I'm talking more like less like Lauren and more like six, seven years younger than me. Like, Yeah, because like, I was going to say I, I was just aging out of this kind of thing when Big Time Rush was starting to come up. Yeah, which we've also had in a previous, which isn't Corbin Blue, isn't he from that too? And he, we had Probably. him on a, 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 an earlier episode as a little baby child actor. So, uh, yeah. I thought Corbin was High School Musical. He may have also been that, but I, I, don't know. I think that, it, I, like, I don't know. like Lizzie said, I remember the, the only reason I know the Corbin Blue uh, Big Time Rush connection is from a vine. So, like, that's the only, gotcha. the only reason I know that. I know we have at least probably five younger listeners in the Discord who are going to get at us once this episode goes off and be like, guys, come on. Great. Uh, But then we go back. There's a trauma coming in for an MVA. There were kids street racing who were brought in. One of them is Janie, who has CSF leaking out her ears. And as this is going on, I know I threw up a little just saying it. Uh, They have to clear Winnie from Trauma 1 so they can treat Janie because right now... Winnie's just kind of on monitors. They're not really doing anything for her. Um, so they wheel her out, put her in a curtain room, whatever. And then Mr. Van Goss is also brought in, who is also involved in the accident. And Daniel, you have a story here? <laughs> I do. It's it's a very weird uh, inside story, uh, inside baseball kind of story here. But it's one that I will never have an opportunity to tell any other time. So I, I feel like I should burn it off here. And I was so like... Equal parts excited and traumatized when I saw uh, this guy uh, pop in. So if you if you watch the episode uh, here when they're wheeling Mr. Van Goss in, the EMT who is bringing him in is this guy who is like very like uh, 
noticeable. Like he he has like a very he he does not look like an everyman. Like he just has kind of a very unique look to him. And uh, back in the early days of uh, STT, when we were like first doing outreach to, and I'm not I'm not gonna mention his name because a he's not credited in this episode, and b I'm not gonna you know I'm just I'm just not. But I will go into the story of like. So in the in the early early days of us reaching out to cast and crew people and seeing like this was like height of the pandemic when like we were just like trying to find ways to make content and like keep ourselves busy. And so we started reaching out to like anyone who had any sort of tangential connection to the show. Like if you were on camera once, we were like, "Hey, you want to talk to us?" Like it was And those were some of the coolest ones. But right. anyway. Yeah, no, it led it led to some really interesting tidbits and really cool little, you know, nuggets that we wouldn't have otherwise gotten, and I'm so glad we did that. But one of the ones that we reached out to and made contact with, like actually got a reply back from, was this guy who you're seeing rolling in this patient here. Um, and he makes like, according to IMDb, he makes like a handful of appearances over the latter stages of the show, kind of from here to the end of the show, like very minor character. Never he, his character does get a name and like, uh, it's probably like very much in passing, but it's just, you know, he's not, he's not a big, big character. And so we kind of went back and forth with this guy of like, Hey, do you want to do an interview? Like, when do you want to do it? Yada, 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 whatever. And like, he would always just give these really like weird kind of like gagey responses of like, well, I'm not sure. And I'm this, that, and the other. And like, he wanted to see most people that we talked to didn't really give a shit about seeing the questions ahead of time, but yet he really did care. And, uh, the, but the weirdest part about the whole thing was that in the space between him being like, yeah, let's do an interview. And when we were actually supposed to do it, he turned into a big old COVID conspiracy theorist and started <gasps> started going off on a whole bunch of like this is a you know government conspiracy blah da blah da blah da da and like it just became this whole thing in a very short amount of time. So it was like I'm so glad we we actually didn't get around to recording anything with this person Ugh. because it was it just turned so dark so fast and then like the last time I checked he was like peddling some weird like water purification scam thing it was like it got weird really really fast so like it's just and it was it was almost like one of those like jump scare things when I saw his face pop up on the screen here I was like oh god oh shit like it just yeah so Probably the weirdest, uh, like tangentially related uh, interview story I'll ever have, but like that's that's been the worst. Uh, speaking of the STT interview series, we're back on because the strike is now over. Don't oh. say that. We don't have anybody lined <laughs> up. Say, Go fuck yourself. But, but you, but you're, as, are you breaking news right now? Three weeks in advance, uh, because yes. this will be very old news by the time they're hearing this. Uh, yeah, speaking no. of which, if if you're Sorry, just... if you are listening to this in the U.S., Happy Thanksgiving because uh, this episode is coming yeah. out. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. We're gonna get movies again. Hey. Yay. Good movies because I want to go to the movies again. But we won't have interviews because there's nobody left. That's not true, actually. <laughs> well, That's said, not true, actually. We yeah, Daniel we said... did have a very nice conversation with uh, uh, the actress who plays Jillian uh, uh, in our Instagram comment section the other week, and uh, she kind of like soft was like, "Yeah, sure, let's talk." So who knows? Cool. Oh God, I don't have time for interviews anymore. <laughs> uh, then we anything else for this before we carry on? No. 
All right. Uh, then we go back to Mr. Mathers. He is still screaming and waiting to be helped because, I mean, he does have bones sticking out of his leg. So I understand he's getting a little frustrated here. A little cranky. Um, a gentleman is brought in who asks where Janie is, and he's got a tender abdomen that needs to be fully examined because he could have, you know, like, intra-abdominal bleeding and everything. Not great. The whole fucking car accident's a mess. All right. And then uh, we go into Janie's trauma, uh, her mouth explodes. Ugh, like, like, I think a tooth comes loose she, like, or something like she, that. She, like, spews yeah. blood and, like, she just, like, does one of those spurts and then somebody says the the quote I put down. Just, oh, she's blowing she's teeth. She's blowing Blah. teeth. Yeah, like, ugh. No. No, thank I you. I realized, yeah, I put her mouth explodes and that isn't very good for notes because, like, we have to actually explain what that means. So my bad. Uh, Psych won't see Ed without a head CT, and the GI doc won't see the quarter kid until morning after she bitches to Romano first. So, all is well clearly in the in the kind of general ER. <laughs> I this believe time this is night. also where uh, Jerry informs uh, informs Pratt that uh, he was like, "Is that all she said?" When he says that she won't see him till tomorrow, and, <laughs> and Jerry goes, "No, she also said you're an asshole." Good night. Yep. <laughs> yep. Ah, <laughs> oh, boy, you love to see it. Uh, Pratt goes back up to the desk uh, and finds a big potluck in progress. Uh, okay. Yeah, because we also failed to mention, too, that a lot of these, like, temp nurses in this episode are uh, e- either, like, Pacific Islander or, like, Filipino, maybe. Like, there's one of the, the dishes that they make is a traditional, like, I think Filipino dish where it's boiled pork blood. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And that there's a running bit with one of the nurses uh, who keeps r- addressing... Uh, uh, no matter what Pratt says to her as yes, doctor. Uh, yeah. It's it's a it's a bit. Didn't say it was a good bit. Yeah. It's just a it's bit. Yes, doctor. Yeah. Uh, but we see Randy is here. Don't get used to it uh, because she's on her way out by the end of the episode. Uh, so. Uh, and he tells uh, Neela to have Morris uh, supervise her while she irrigates Mr. Mather's wound. Uh, we then find out Abby is able to get a CT for uh, Mr. Van Goss, uh, and uh, her and Lizzie get into the elevator with their respective uh, gurneys. And I love the the two shot from the top of the elevator as you see the little like parallel park job that they have to do to get the two gurneys in there. It's a very cool, uh, very cool little shot that I don't think we've seen before, and maybe we'll never see again. But I just kind of I like the cinematography there. Uh, and uh, she asks if uh, Dorset and Lizzie ever got together, and Lizzie kind of admits that they're dating and is, like, having a bit of an internal battle with yeah. herself where she's too like, soon? is it too soon? It's probably too soon. And it's like Lauren it's said. It's too soon. It's like Lauren said. We should have been seeing this play out over the last year or so, uh, and instead it feels like they decided to shove it into this one episode in a very, like, kind of half-baked sort of way. Uh, and I would have liked to have seen them tease that out a little bit more. Like, just do... Do a little, do anything with Lizzie. Actually, I'm, I'm begging you. Do anything other than have her come in and be casually racist. Like, let's, let's have her do, anything at all. Uh, shifting gears, uh, Neela is numbing Mr. Mathers' wound and sterilizing his leg while they wait for the OR. And Carrie comes in and scolds her because she should be supervised while she's doing that because she is only still a med student. Uh, Carrie says, I'm surrounded by incompetence. Yeah, because I love how... Because Sorry, go ahead. Morris was supposed to be supervising her, and Morris is on the other is in the other room on the phone. 
Uh, I really like where Carrie ends up at the end of this episode, though, because she she does own up that like she makes mistakes too. But we'll get yeah. there. Uh, we hear Ed CT was fine, but he does he's adamant about not wanting to take to psych talk to psych. Uh, Pratt tells the nurse to give him two milligrams of Obicalp, and she's like Obicalp, and Pratt's like, "Yep, Obicalp," and she goes, "Ah, okay." Um, look of understanding. And Neela goes into Winnie's room where Erica is, and Erica asks what DNR means, and Neela tells her, and Erica requests to stay in the room with her grandma because she sleeps better when, grandma sleeps better when she's there, so she curls up next to her in her little gurney bed, and Neela tucks her in. Aww. Uh, Pratt tells her to get moving, though. It's hard learning where your time is best spent. Uh, Lester asks Neil what Obicalp is, and Carrie overhears and asks who's prescribed it, and goes and chews out Pratt about it. Because Obicalp is placebo backwards. Opening them up to a huge Always. fucking lawsuit. Always <laughs> fun. Uh, and then uh, we meet up with Damien, uh, who, refreshing, refresh your memory, is Quarterboy. Uh, meet up with <laughs> Quarterboy's parents to uh, ask uh, when when he's going to be getting treated and they've been here for 14 hours already. Uh, not great. Uh, and, uh, the dad here is a, a little bit of an Ohan that guy played at, played by actor Cameron Dye, who appears in stuff like the tavern, uh, Mr. Limbo and the movie, the Nicholas cage movie, Valley girl, uh, which is sort of a, there's a bit of a cultural touchstone in the late eighties, early nineties. The, the whole Valley girl speak thing. Oh my God. That kind of thing. Think clueless. That's uh, that's oh that's my kind of Valley God. Girl vibes. Becky, look at her butt. Uh, we then uh, find out uh, Mr. Van Goss crashed in CT, and uh, Carrie jumps in to uh, help Abby with him, and kind of scolds herself uh, for sending him up. Um, in a moment that I feel like should be more impactful and dramatic than it ends up being. Mm-hmm. Like it feels, yeah. it feels like it kind of gets a short Buried. short shift. Yeah, like it. I, I like that moment, and I, I feel like I would like it more if it was given more significance. It feels like it was, it was very kind of shoved in there. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and this this is what I was talking about, where like she jumps in and she's like, never send a, a patient without a doctor along. And Abby thinks she's talking to her and is like, I didn't. You told me to. Yeah. And Carrie's like, I was telling myself. Yeah, like there, it just didn't feel fully realized i guess like it just didn't feel like there was enough supporting work in the episode itself i guess if you look at it as more of a long-term thing maybe but i just i don't know could have been done better uh but back down in the er pratt is performing an extraction of the quarter with an uh without the endoscope he's using a i think it's a foley or uh yeah yeah yep uh to get it out and all the students are watching and uh it is a success for now we'll yeah. For now, I guess. You hate- Success with a big asterisk. I love how he gives it to the parents, like, put that in the piggy bank. And the woman just holds <sighs> it. Like, like oh, it's I not, hated like, that so much. Your- that, was the, yeah. that was worse than Ugh. the fucking, uh, the, the teeth thing for me. The, her getting the gross quarter, because, like, I just, I'm not a huge fan of change anyway. Like, that's, I just <laughs> don't, I don't like hot metal in my hands like that. Like, are, are really any of us a fan of change, no. Daniel, when you really think no. about it? awful uh, uh daniel we appreciate you 
Uh, Abby gets asked to work some more triage, and Pratt invites her to go to the bar, and then he and Randy start dancing when a fun song comes on. Oh yeah, it's a, this uh, is one, it, a fun song. It is put some respect on Tone Loke's name uh, with Wild Thing uh, in that scene. God damn it, '90s fucking icon uh, Tone Loke in. I'm sorry. The only uh, song called "Wild Thing" that I will respond to is John Moxley's, which that theme one's song. great too. But but this one, uh, you know, has John Moxley ever been a fucking henchman in a C tier Disney movie? I think not. Uh, Tone Loke in Blank Check, he was. So you know, just put some respect on the man's name. Re- respect without the T, because Tone Loke also no no extra consonant on the end there. Just L O C. He has been the third wheel on the shield. Does that count? Are we talking? So anyway, I was thinking of the Michael Chiklis show when you said that, and I and I was like, was no. Tone Loke in the Shield? Like I'm like racking my brain now. Okay, all right, I'm back. So anyway, uh, we go over to Abby working triage, and Damien comes back up, not feeling well. They got him out to the um, parking lot, and he started to feel queasy. So they came back in, and he barfs blood all over the triage window. So we're two for two for disgusting. Uh, explode yes daniel i've done this before not on the window but uh, oh. Oh, oh, no. uh yeah so uh this yeah well i hope right outside the front door um i i don't remember how old i was i was probably did you eat a quarter no i was like nine or ten maybe maybe a little younger and i i don't even remember what the like mechanism of injury was but i, I developed a nosebleed developed a nosebleed and my parents did it. My parents were both in the medical field. They're not doctors, but like they're, they were both in the medical field. They knew how to treat a fucking nosebleed. And so they both like worked on me to like, try to like get the bleeding to stop. And I kind of bled like slowly over the course of like two hours. And then they were, uh. then they were like, okay, well this is clearly not stopping. So we're just going to go to the ER. And so we went to the ER. I was in the ER for a while and feel like i've told this part of the story on on mike before but maybe not uh their treatment was basically to shove a huge tampon up my nose like they basically just like they they, yeah i feel like they determined but i want to hear it again they determined that i had burst a blood vessel in my nose and they were like we're just gonna shove a huge tampon up there and that'll be that so they did shoved a huge tampon up there it was just like i don't know if he was a resident or an attending or what but like i just remember he had this like bright white lab coat and they Mm -hmm. were like they were like, all right, this is going to, you know, this is going to be uncomfortable. This is going to not sting, but like, this is just going to tickle. It's going to suck. Yeah. Like, cause we have to basically shove this tampon up into your sinuses. And so like, they start doing it in there and it had this big, like uh, black string on the end of it. And I just like reached up and grabbed the string and yanked it and fucking sprayed blood all over this dude's crisp white lab coat, which was just, you know, he was not happy about that. But you just made for listeners. You just made Lizzie rip her headphones <laughs> off. It's about time. It's her turn. Uh, and uh, so after that, I then waited outside for my mom to pull the car around to uh, take take my anemic ass home. Uh, and while I'm sitting there on the bench outside the front door, uh, the because back then. OK, so the, keep in mind, this is like late 90s. The, the treatment for a bloody nose was still pinch your nose and tilt your head back. Now that, So it just all po- post-nasal so drip? So it all just post-nasal drip down my throat. And so I'd been basically swallowing blood for two hours. And oh, ah. all over the front entrance of this hospital. Just fucking 
like it looked like a scene from the fucking shining like just blood everywhere oh, 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 oh. mixed with i think chicken noodle soup like just, no. just all over the place just campbell's bloodbath daniel hey so campbell's let me talk i know that's I on you. you so so with that being said uh he spews all over the triage window and they wheel him up to the OR immediately. And Lizzie, of course, chews Pratt out for not for doing anything downstairs because he's like, you're not fucking qualified. You didn't have the imaging. You shouldn't have done this. Uh, and Pratt's like, okay, fucking fine. He goes downstairs to find Ed has collapsed in the ER as they were getting ready to leave. And Coop offers to help. It could have been a stroke. And Coop helps identify that there was a tear in one of his arteries causing a clot and I want to note here, this was a, another episode, I think I say this later in the notes, but this was another episode where it seriously looks like they're setting Coop up to be another main player. Oh, 100%. They, they, like, I, so much. I, would, I, I feel like I, I want to, like, talk to John Levy again, because, like, I want to know, like, was this always, like, it seems to me like the plan was always, like, Glenn Howerton was the one that was supposed to survive and that, you know, uh, Scott Grimes was just supposed to kind of fade away. And or maybe the maybe the plan was always to keep both of them and like it just didn't work out with Glenn or like I don't know like it just the way they're setting it up they are setting it up so that you think Coop is going to be the one that's going to be around for the next five or six years. Yep. Uh, and the biggest injustice of this whole scene uh, is that Randy gets bobbed in the background and uh, she's not e- not no. even in focus. Like if you look at the scene over her shoulder, you see her still standing at admit. Uh, and still doing stuff. This is the last time we will ever see Randy, uh, and she's not even in focus. Like she's not even in her last scene, really, uh, which sucks, you know, because she's been with us in one form or another. I think since season three, maybe four. So like she's been around a while, and uh, has not always been a constant presence, but has always made the most out of her time on screen. I feel like, uh, and so it's just a bummer. Uh, like, I feel like this is definitely in that, like, Hicks tier of, like, really unsatisfying bobs where she's just – she's not even the focus when she is leaving, and that's a bummer. You said Hicks, and I was like, oh, yeah, she did exist. Um, but Put some respect on CCH Pounder's You name. betcha. Uh, but then Mr. Mathers is demanding to be euthanized because he's fucking miserable and nobody's taking care of his leg yet. Like, I get it. Relatable. It's been forever. Uh Abby insists on taking a break here because she's come back in. This is her second shift in a row. Double overtime. Everything's going wrong. Kid just puked blood right near her like she needs a minute. So she goes into a treatment room to call about a cash advance. And this is the room that uh, Winnie and Erica are sleeping in. Uh, She checks on Winnie and Winnie has passed in her sleep. So Abby steps back out and tells Neela what happened and that they need the bed. So Neela has to take care of this mm. fun times for right by all obviously uh Pratt is working on mr mather's leg and asking him how he's doing it's 4 30 in the morning and he's finally had enough morphine to where he's actually able to sleep or is comfortable yeah where he's actually able in in, in a tolerable level of pain um mather's asked if he's gonna lose the leg which is a genuine question when you've had an open wound like this for so long uh, Pratt promises he'll be up in the OR real soon. And he goes to put that plan into action. 
And he uh, asks Carrie to cover for him as he runs up to the OR to uh, ortho and gets their attention himself uh, by stepping into a surgery uh, and uh, basically is like, I'll hold the the clamps for you. Why don't you get out of here and go uh, see my patient that I've been trying to get you to see for the last five hours? It's it is, I think, kind of the best moment of the episode, in my opinion. Um, in that it make it, it kind of is the most heroic and it is the most sort of like our our little boys growing up kind of thing um but like a lot of things in this episode it it ultimately feels a little half baked like it ultimately yeah. like i think i get what this is supposed to be like this is very much supposed to be like uh you know Pratt's punch for lack of a better word like this is supposed to be his big heroic triumph uh you know where he really advocates for his patient like he did like it's supposed to be like kind of a defining thing i think especially given kind of the events of the episode um but it just doesn't really get all the way there and i i don't fully understand why i don't i i'm i'm really struggling to wrap my wrap my arms around this whole episode of like what it is that is off and would improve the episode but we'll we'll get into that as we wrap up the episode we see Neela carrying Erica out of the room. Uh, we then cut to a, a location shot uh, where Abby is ringing the door at some at a random graystone uh, building, uh, and she's looking for uh, her ex, Richard. Uh, and the door is answered by presumably Richard's new wife and/or girlfriend, baby mama. She's she's holding a baby who I believe she says is 14 months old now, uh, and she calls out to the back and says, "Honey, your ex-wife is here," and she is advocating for Richard to co-sign a loan with her. Um, even though it's never spelled out in this episode, I feel like it is the the implied thing is that she's looking to go back to med school. And It's absolutely the implied yeah, thing. Yeah, I mean, like, they never, they never come right out and say, like, oh, she, Abby's trying to get back into med school. They just say she's trying to get a loan. Um, but I think even without that context, I think you're still kind of, the audience can put that together for themselves. Um so yeah, and he's kind of like, "Oh, I could have just paid for this for you." She's like, "I don't want that. I don't want your money or like I don't I just want a signature because I want to do this myself." So, uh, and this is the last time that we will be seeing uh one Mr. Richard Tiberius Lockhart. Uh he is no more off to the shadow realm. Uh we won't be needing him anymore. Uh we go My back bitch. to the ER. Uh Pratt steps out from the bathroom to get a a real chewing out from Romano and we get kind of the first little glimpses of the bits with with Romano with the arm where the arm is like he doesn't fully have complete control of the arm yet and so he's kind of just moving independently uh so Pratt has like this bewildered look on his face I like, what yeah. the fuck is totally missed this yeah like the, the like the whole time he's like lecturing and I think they they say early in the episode when he's getting the arm she's like you contract the tri- the biceps to lift it up you ex- the, you know engage the triceps to push it down and like, so I think he's like still thinking in those terms. And so like the whole time he's talking to Pratt, the arm is just like going up and down in front of Pratt <laughs> and it keeps making like the little mechanical whirring noises. And like Pratt is so much more did- focused on the arm than he is on what uh, Romano is saying. How did I miss this? Uh, because you were dissociating very, very hard by the end of the episode. Okay. Uh, that's fair. Yeah. Uh, we, uh, finish up with, uh, Coop in this episode where him and Pratt are kind of heading out for the day. And they kind of do like this little like bromance thing, almost like they, again, like they're mm-hmm. they're kind of setting up that 
Pratt and Coop are going to be the Doug and, and Mark of the new era. Like, they're going to be the buddies. And that's not the case. <laughs> but it's in, it is – that's what I love about doing these week by week is that, like, you're going to see these weird little, like, we're trying something here. It's not going to work, but we're trying it. Uh, and, yeah, so they, they, they really do – they're still making Coop look like a, a real cool cowboy. Uh, but Pratt heads out for the day from – from the ambulance bay with blood on his shirt and his real cool early 2000 sunglasses uh, that look just dated as fuck. I mean, Pratt, why would you? We've you have blood all over. We've your gone shirt. over this. It's not a good idea. Yeah, like just no. That's true. Yeah, I wasn't even thinking about that. Yeah, that's a good point. Just you've already been hassled by the cops once. What's if you see someone on the train? What are they gonna that's think a when? A, person of color has a bunch of blood all very, over their shirt point. uh and as the episode closes uh there is a dedication after the episode uh it's for mitch hebert uh which uh, as you might imagine is a relation uh to the episode's director julie hebert uh it's her late brother as i looked it up so someone tell me the point of this episode uh, yep mm-hmm. because i have because lauren and i were talking last night just briefly we couldn't find one we were just like Nothing nothing really major happened that couldn't be tucked in for 30 seconds it, into another episode. It wasn't a bad episode, but it was just like that was an episode like yeah. it just didn't it didn't feel like it served any purpose to yeah. me. Yeah, this this was the very definition of filler to me, which it's only the fourth episode of the yeah. season. Well, and as, we're doing as I believe Aaron maybe maybe it's somebody else. I don't know. Somebody somebody's going to point out in the listener responses as uh they point out this is sort of an attempt by the writers to recapture one of the like for lack of a better word filler type episodes of the earlier seasons of you know uh, i'm thinking in the terms of like a shift in the night kind of thing where it is less about we we have gotten so i think desensitized because of you know going back to like season five at this point like there's been more of this type of stuff of the event type episode there's been way more of that over the last five years than there has been of just the slice of life day in the er type of episodes you're way more conditioned to expect you know like a fucking train derailment and like somebody's got cancer and like somebody's you know going to africa like there's way more of these like event type things and less and less of these just like slice of life day in the life kind of episodes and that's kind of what this is i'm not defending it necessarily because i do think it falls ultimately sort of flat but it is just, I think, kind of like you're expecting one thing and you're given another, and it just, it's it's odd. It's off. I mean, you could argue that's really just a, another attempt to for to get get across to the audience that Pratt is like one of the emotional like leaders of this of this ER yeah, but, now. But he doesn't. I guess with how much he was running around and how much everyone was coming to him with their problems. Yeah, but it does, and... the, the problem I think with it, with that is that you're not really given much of an arc for Pratt in the episode. It's it, he doesn't really learn yeah. that much. He kind of just, he kind he of just, just does, does stuff. stuff and like, sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes he gets in trouble. Sometimes he gets away with it. Like it's just, it's just stuff happening. And, um, yeah, yeah, it's just I, I don't really know how I would fix this. I actually I do I, I do know how I would fix this episode. I would have instead of making it Pratt uh, centric, I think I would have made it Carrie centric, and I would I would have I oh, would have had Pratt get otherwise uh, indisposed. You know, like 
either he calls in sick or like one of these traumas pulls him away and he's like he's just out of it for the rest of the episode and carrie has to come down and learn how to be in the er for a full shift again and not just drop in and like do do a thing like she has to come in and manage a full night's night shift and like do the whole thing and like again like all the emotional beats of this episode like feel under baked and like feel unearned like the whole thing of her in the the ct with the the one patient that should have been a big moment like pratt going into the e, into the or that should have been a big moment like there's just a lot of like coulda shoulda wouldas in this episode that i i'm puzzled by because it's not a bad episode on 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 the whole it's just kind of there it's the definition yeah, of it's fine. just kind of there like nothing is inherently offensive nothing is inherently bad but i just Again, like you said, I don't really know what the point is. I don't know what this really did for anybody except make Coop look cool and he's going to be gone in four episodes. Like it's, you know, and that's and that's something another uh, listener pointed out as well is that like a, a big part of I think why this episode doesn't hold as much water as you want it to is because so many of the plot lines that they're giving uh, screen time to are wholly inconsequential. Like Dorset and Lizzie doesn't matter. Coop and Pratt doesn't matter. Like, there's so much stuff in this episode that they're, like, focusing on that in the space of, like, five episodes is going to be just, like, a distant memory. And so you're, you're, you can't even say it's a world-building episode because they're not building anything. They're, they're, they're going to dispense with all of that in the space of, like, five episodes. Yeah. Like, I've never wanted, a, like, a true, like, it didn't need to be, a, like, a mass casualty or anything like that, but just give us one good central patient to keep checking back yeah. up on. I, I, I do think they should have like picked either Mr. Gamble or Mr. Mathers and like pick a lane and, and, and go with that. And like having yeah. to do both of them and not really exploring deeply either one is unsatisfying. Yeah. I'd still say like six and a yeah, half, that seven. That feels fair. Yeah. What, whatever, a, whatever, nothing was inherently whatever like a offensive, but averages out to like, I'm, I'm feeling letter. Grade. So a seven, I would, I would, I would give it a bonus point just because they got, uh, a brand Ruby to say, that's asshole true. On, and, and, and on basic, on basic. And we had grandma TV. titties, uh, and we, uh, we have geriatric breasts <laughs> and we have the, uh, you know, canonical head cannon that, uh, Jerry is actually, uh, Bartman like that. He's and, uh, and Lizzie and Lizzie Corday side boob. That is true. We can't forget about Lizzie Corday side boob points. T- Listen, folks, 10 out of 10 episodes. <laughs> best series ever. This is how the rest of the season's gonna go once, Sa- or the series is gonna go once Sam shows up. It's like, did I have Sam? Yep, ten out of ten. I'm gonna be so like, it's it's gonna be that meme of Jenny Slate and uh, Henry Winkler where it's like, I have never done anything wrong in my life, <laughs> and like Henry Winkler's like, I know this and I love you. Like that's that's gonna be me with Sam for the next six yeah. years. Buckle uh, up, Jen. The rest Buckle of the re- up. The rest. The entire rest of the series is just going to be Dan simping for Linda Carlin. I'm sorry, so Dan? Hard. Daniel. Daniel. Immediate disqualification. Dan.you.el. It freaks me out. It freaks me out so much because like every time I hear Jake say Danny, I'm like, we can't use that. That's that's only a Jake thing. Nobody else can do it. It's true. Anyway, uh, should we... Should we... Should we carry on? Did you have uh, any final thoughts, Lauren? No, shall we move into you guys covered responses? it. It was an episode. It happened. Let's move on. One of the episodes of exactly. all time. Go ahead, Lauren. Uh, first off, we have at Hapinski. 
uh, says, I've been waiting for some weeks now. This is my first listener response. Thank you for responding. Uh, Forgive my non-native ass if I have written something silly, but here we go. Have you listened to the podcast? We are all about silly. Like, we do this hours on end. Uh, I am of the opinion that in seasons 10 through 11, they managed to recapture some of that early seasons feeling of ER, and this is a great example of that. There are echoes of episodes like Full Moon, Saturday Night, or A Shift in the Night that are about the smaller cases and the work community, which are the solid foundation of the greatness of the show. I also think that from start to finish, they were at their best when writing Friendships. Here they have the blooming friendship of Pratt and Coop, who sadly doesn't stay too long, and they are laying some groundwork for the med student trio of Abby, Neela, and Lester, which provides most of the old camaraderie feels as the season progresses. Every character present in the episode is also perfect and adds to the dynamics. Randy partying at the admit desk, Weaver praising Abby like no biggie while not letting anyone make any compromises or get off easy, Elizabeth being embarrassed to admit dating Dorset, Abby's facial expressions in all the situations. In this episode, they also nail the banter and no storyline overshadows others or feels underwhelming. It's a solid 10 out of 10 in its category of everyday life in the ER episodes. Wow, I wish I had read this before watching the episode because this makes me appreciate it so much more. (laughs) So thank you. Excellent first listener response. You've changed my entire attitude on the episode. Good job, A+. Uh... At Simply Swooning says, This app for me, proves why season 10, although miles ahead of season 9, will always appear the best Always appear the best watching it the first time around and that it shrinks upon rewatch. And that's because it's a season of broken threads, knowing that all these plot points, Elizabeth's foray into romance, whatever the hell Chin and Pratt are doing, Chen and Pratt are doing, uh, Pratt's completely inappropriate interest in Neela, his nascent bromance with Coop and Romano's continued reign of terror in the ER are going to end without having any real significance to anything, makes it hard to get through on rewatch. When I first watched it, I was excited to see where it was going, and it did feel like a return to form. Everyone is killing it this episode, but, I, but knowing that all these plots are going to die takes something away. The saving grace is we get to see Neela and Abby asserting themselves, setting up what is probably the most memorable plotline of the season. Their student era is a truly bright spot. Uh, Pratt is very, very slowly coming into his own, but he ain't there yet. Abby and Luca are Abby and Luca season eight again. The only reason I can think of as to why Abby actually took Jillian up on that offer so late is because she wanted to get a better look at them together. And it's clear that as soon as Jillian leaves, Luca forgets all about her. Get a room already. But their dynamic anchoring later seasons is also clearly foreshadowed. The whole episode is very well done filler. I just wish more of it had stronger impact down the line. But TBH, I wouldn't I would have taken 18 more episodes of this if it meant avoiding I'm not gonna say it, Sam and Luca, but I'm getting ahead of myself. Guys, stop putting the ship names in. I'm stopping saying them. I'm done. I'm putting my foot down. It's it's over. I'm saying actual names. And last, but certainly not least, we have at the full-time dad. I should have checked that he's actually the last. Uh, like most have said, these are the type of filler episodes that quote old ER would nail. No singular case or dominant storyline, just a busy urban trauma center on a crazy night. Clearly, Pratt's terrible, horrible, no good, very bad night takes top billing, but I think in a microcosm, everything works here. I say in a microcosm because 
like several have mentioned, a lot of these stories, Pratt and Coop, Elizabeth and Dorset, Romano et al., would not extend, will not extend much further than a few episodes. The clear exception, of course, is Abby, who finally gets Richard to do something other than be a gigantic prick. Good on her. Also super bummed to say goodbye to Randy. In the absence of Jerry and later Frank, Randy was such an unsung piece of the ensemble. Her deadpan deliveries, the outfits, those underrated moments in some of the show's best episodes. She was great in Exodus and All in the Family. She, almost more than anyone who has to this point, didn't deserve to get bobbed. Well, anyway, that's going to wrap up our episode for today. Uh, thank you all very much for listening, as always. This show is brought to you in part by our patrons over at patreon.com slash podcast. For the work for the low price of only $5 a month, you can get an assortment of stickers, including one featuring our favorite desk clerk, Jerry, and over 75 hours of bonus audio and video content, including the full season recap episodes, a free-form monthly bonus show called The Lounge, movie reviews where we talk about a movie featuring an ER cast member, and character retrospectives where we reflect on departed main cast members. We would also appreciate it if you would follow us on our social media accounts. We are on Facebook at facebook.com slash Podcast, and we are at Podcast on Instagram. Also, be sure to check out the official Saying the Tone community on Facebook. Our theme music is provided to us by Andrew M. Edwards and Daniel. Where can folks find you at? They can find me on Instagram at dan.u, that is y-o-u.el. They can also find me on my other podcast, The Popular Court, with my co-host Jake Terrell, where we do a different pop culture topic each episode and put it through a little mock trial. And Lauren, where can folks find you at? Folks can find me on my Instagram at Lobo92345. Uh, you can also find me. I'm I'm holding on. I'm still on at, I'm still on Twitter. I, I'm not gonna call it X. That's just stupid. Uh, I am over there. I am at random gamer. That's G-A-M-3-R. Um, and thanks again everyone very much for listening. Please join us again next time. Have a great week. Bye.